0: Osiris.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the corner of Gray Street podcast. This is episode 86, and this is going to be our first installment of what we call Convos on the Corner. You all may be aware of Concerts on the Corner. We're going to start calling our interview episodes Combos on the Corner because we're cool like that. I'm Bruce,
2: and as always, I'm joined by Nolan. What's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, ready to talk to our special guest here, Bruce. This is a, a big-time episode that we have been uh, really excited about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, let's go ahead and get into it. I want to welcome Mr. Brian Calhoun. This is the father of Rockbridge guitars, and many, many other things but that's how you may know him best brian welcome
0: Uh, thanks for having me it's nice to nice to meet you
1: absolutely we really appreciate it and we're excited about this we've been wanting to do this for a long time and just i have no idea why we just didn't ask you sooner but i guess it was the right time because you said yes so we appreciate that obviously um but yeah we're obviously heading into kind of the christmas season here so this is probably a big busy time for you um, with all of the you know Rockbridge and all the side projects that we'll get into here in a little bit. But um, yeah, Nolan, I think first we want to get into a little bit of who Brian is, where he came from, and how he got to where he is today um, to form all of those companies that he has formed so far.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: All right. Well, you guys can, you guys can lead me with questions, but I guess... I guess it started, you know, I was a guitar player growing up, Uh, you know, more in the Nirvana kind of things in middle school. It was Nirvana, then Guns N' Roses, then Led Zeppelin and classic rock. And then then I diverged into bluegrass music. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I love playing guitar. And I had this guitar teacher named Steve Hope, who's the father of one of my one of my good friends and he's this wonderful guy, I'm still friends with him, um, very eccentric. Like he had, he had one of those houses, you know, every neighborhood has a house with like bamboo and blue bottles hanging from the, and you know, somebody's painted the rocks and it's got a weird fountain in the yard. And then they surrounded by like, you know, fathoms and stuff. He was like that house, you know, like a wizard out and he built instruments as a hobby. I, was, I thought it was amazing. I, I, I mean, I still remember the, I have the first memory of like when he started showing me this stuff and he showed me a mandolin he built. I was in high school like eighth grade. And just like, I was like, how'd you you know, how'd you do this? It's amazing. And then he built all these strange, like four neck instruments and three neck instruments and hurdy-gurdies and sitars and things he'd make up. And I just thought it was neat. So I thought, you know, I'm going to make an instrument. And I started in high school. I actually started with a hurdy gurdy, which I don't know if you've ever you don't see those on the stage very, very often. There's, uh, but uh, it's kind of like a like a stringed bagpipe. That's what it sounds like. Uh, I never finish it. I'm I'm gonna get back to it. In fact, you know maybe I'll get Matthews is you know interested. So we'll see. But uh, th- but yeah, I did that and then mandolins and and then. Uh, I mean, I'm rambling, but i I uh, like had some informal apprenticeships with local instrument builders. There's a mandolin builder and a violin builder and I was doing those and I and then I started doing inlay work for a banjo company. And I was like trying to find my place and then I was like, you know I play guitar. I should build guitars and that's when I went and started teamed up with my Rockbridge guitar, you know, co-founder Randall Ray, and we started Rockbridge.
2: So you must have had some pretty good guitar chops yourself, uh, because you went to Berkeley College of Music, right? What was that uh, that experience like?
0: It was, for me, it was miserable. So I, I grew up in Rockbridge County, Virginia, in mm-hmm. a town called Lexington, very, very, very small. I think. I think the population when I grew up there, of like including the two colleges, was 5,000 people, or something crazy like you know. So then all of a sudden, and I put and I and I got so into bluegrass music, and then all of a sudden I was in Boston. I don't know how they let me in, because <laughs> but but um, yeah, it was awful. You know, people everywhere. that we had heard of bluegrass. It just it wasn't my. I lasted one semester barely. <laughs> um, and, and then came back to Charlottesville, Virginia where some a lot of my friends were going to uh, University of Virginia here at school came back and, and was in a bluegrass band uh, and sort of was doing that for a while And instrument was a hobby, I had no idea what I wanted to do you know, I, I was like a tr- very troubled team you know, trying to figure it all out and I thought maybe I'll go back to school or I'll get a job doing something. But then I don't know. I, I, it's this hobby of building guitars, and and then I mean it was it was it started as a hobby with Randall, um, and then I was like, man, those things like we one of our one of our very first guitars. Like I found myself playing it more than the guitar that. My parents had given me as a high school graduation gift. I was like, "These are good. I bet we could sell these." And Randall, who's uh, nearly 20 years older than me, if he listens to this. He's going to get mad at me for saying that, but close enough. But he he was like, "You can't do this for a living." He had a business with his wife, you know, house painting business. Yeah, we can. And, you know, I was I was young. I think about it now because I'm 43. You know. When 23 year old came up and said, you should quit your job and start this business with me. I, you know, they, it would take a lot of convincing, but I, I somehow did that with Randall. And we started, we started Rockbridge and in the early days, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was figuring out how to build guitars. He'd been doing it for 20 years and he was doing a couple guitars a year. He was sort of this incredible guitar historian, like, you, you, like if you ask name any guitar player who like oh he has a you know 1965 Fender and he sold it in this year And they, like he knows everything <laughs> guitar everybody's ever played and he had a bunch of ideas and I came into it with some ideas and we just sort of early on were making guitars that we were like man these things sound good and I think the best thing we did was not try and change it uh, at that point we were both playing bluegrass. We were selling to bluegrass musicians. We needed these like loud, powerful guitars that, you know, people could play with a banjo player next to them. And um, yeah, you know, people would come and say, can you build me a replica of a Martin or a Gibson? And we, we said, nope, we're going to stick to this. And It took a while to kind of break into the market, but glad we did it. Stuck with it.
1: So that brings up a good point. Like, So what was your ultimate you know, when you go in and you start to make them, what kind of you're not modeling it after a certain, you know, famous brand. What were you pulling certain things from, well, we like this about the Martin it's got this certain warm sound or over here is, you know, Mm -hmm. the Taylor has this and it's more crisp, whatever it may be, what were you pulling? Um, or, you know, what was inspiring about some of those other, you know, already established brands that you may have learned from before.
0: Yeah, it was exactly that. It was, Things we liked about Martins, things we liked about Gibsons, you know, things we kind of tweaked. I mean, really, I mean, Randall already had a lot of ideas coming into it, and really, in this first kind of dozen rock bridges we made, which was, you know, took us over a year, we we kind of honed in, like this is what we're gonna do. And they, you know, workmanship-wise, had a long way to come, but sound-wise, you know, we kind of found something and stuck with it right away and at that point you know still it wasn't like this is going to be my living it's just we like doing it and it's going to be the side biz.
2: <laughs> that's awesome well i mean it seems like you've always been a good salesman you've sold uh randall on joining you and making these um so you mentioned rockbridge county that's where the name comes from um where where are you guys at now um rather your a four-man shop and produce 60 guitars annually did you kind of wh- i guess when did it evolve into into what it is now i think you started in 2002 so how did you get from from there to here
0: yeah we're i mean it started slow and the first i don't know six years was just me and randall kind of like we both had other I mean, he's still involved with his business and i was still doing sort of Playing music and side gigs in instrument building mainly, but ch- you know, trying to figure out what I was doing, and um, I don't know. We we just sort of slowly started building more guitars and getting a better reputation. I was doing a lot of going to festivals, meeting artists, you know, as a like you know, as 22 or whatever, and I'd go up to these, you know, <laughs> ups and say, "We hey, check out this guitar my friend and I made," and I mean, it was a lot of that. And then you'd you'd, you'd sell one, and then I'd figure out who their friends were, and I'd go, and I'd say, so-and-so just got one of these. You want to try it out? And it's like, you know, you sort of start getting a reputation when you get these players endorsing endorsing your stuff. I mean, and by endorsing, I mean literally just playing them. Um, And then we – oh, in the whole time – we don't really talk about it because it's complicated – I was in Charlottesville and Randall was in Lexington. Like we have the the most, like, it's not, we don't run an efficient business around here as, you know, far as like a business place. I mean, I was building parts, he was building parts, we were driving and meeting halfway, like once a week at that point with like a guitar neck and a fingerboard in the car and we'd trade off and eat at Subway. And, you know, we would do that once a week. And then, so we did that for like five years. And then the next guy that came, Adam McNeil, was one of my friends growing up. His father came from, uh, was a great woodworker and Adam had all these crafty skills and uh, wasn't a guitar player, but was just like this incredible workmanship. And he came in and man, just, you know, really helped us get these things looking, looking good. And we started doing it with him for a while and then and he was working with me in Charlottesville. And then it got even more complicated because I moved to LA for four years. And, and we, I mean, again, not how, not how I would recommend to anybody how to run a business, um, but I was out there like meeting artists and I don't know, sort of growing the company and trying to, still trying to figure out what I was doing. But, um, we we made these big insulated boxes. I mean, these huge boxes with like you know that foam that you build houses with. We got the two-inch kind. We sort of built it around these boxes so you, you know you could jump on one; it wouldn't break. And once a month, we'd ship these giant boxes. I was in Holly. I was in Hollywood. We'd ship these giant boxes, and Adam was in Charlottesville, and Randall was. The, and then they'd be meeting halfway. I mean, it was just horrible. <laughs> can't believe we didn't get this is you know this was in like 2010 when the economy crashed and people weren't buying guitar I mean it was you know it was it was tough times to see if we were gonna pull through um but you know we did and it's it started picking up from there and, and, it, and that's about the time as it started to pick up we we were sort of right on the brink of deciding like what kind of business we wanted You know, there was three of us, we were getting a reputation. We had some some you know pretty well known artists at that time. Um and it was like, are we gonna grow, hire a bunch of people, and you know, start like becoming a real company, you know, where where I mean at at some point you sell through dealers, you know, and then you grow and you get bigger. And that was sort of appealing. Um but also, I don't know, we all like had these other things we we're into and and we decided, well, you know, the other way to go is to pull our, our guitars out of shops. At that point we had maybe a dozen or 15, like really high-end shops, you know, Gruen's and Cotton Music and places like that. Um, we, we pulled our guitars out of those shops and said, we're just gonna do custom orders. And we got, we were getting enough orders that I, you know, I, we wanted someone else. Got another one of my friends, Jake Hopping from who I knew at Berkeley. And he'd been in a touring bluegrass band since the Berkeley year. So for 10 years, you know, he was traveling around the country. They won IBMA awards, you know, they, and he was living that sort of road life and wanted to change. And he hadn't done any, uh, a ton of woodworking, but he was like a tinkerer, you know, like good at setting, up good already like really good at just sort of figuring out new jigs and you know he came on he was sort of a great compliment to, to our team i moved back to virginia and um that you know that was that's how we had it so now it's the three of us jake adam and me in charlottesville and the shop is currently in my basement i'm in my office now so downstairs is a guitar shop randall who is a complete hermit lives in Lexington and maybe sees a person besides his wife, you know, once every couple of months. <laughs> but he, <laughs> and so now we have someone uh, do the do the road trips for us. But we're still like, you know, every every two weeks we start three guitars and finish three guitars. So you know, if in a perfect year we built seventy-two, but with stuff coming up we're kind of in the you know mid mid 60s most years now um and you know that's how we've done it and many many times i've had the thought should we grow should we hire more people i get people calling for jobs all the time and it's tempting you know i mean, i think we could I think we can sell more guitars and uh you know sort of go that route but man i'm just glad we did every time you know i'm just glad we didn't because we're with this tight knit team, we're friends with each other. We got a lot of flexibility, um, and we we are able to put so much into each guitar. And I think if we if we grew, sort of lose that, you know. I I think I'm rambling here. Is this how it's supposed to go? That's, that's
1: good. That's perfect. perfect. I mean it. It sounds to me like that's the exact way that you would do it. That is. You know that is your identity is that small town that small communal uh, vibe and that's why you said you didn't like berkeley as much so i think that when you yeah. said that and you were talking about expanding is that you know that would you've probably always made that right choice because that would be like the antithesis of who brian calhoun is at his core
0: yeah it's been tempting here hear there but i'm just glad we didn't and i think there's a giant advantage to small shops, whether it's guitars or whatever you're doing, there's just, you put a lot more care into it. I mean, a a, a factory made guitar, if you pulled out your calipers might be more perfect, but, you know, if you pulled out a magnifying glass, you might find, you know, these things are handmade. And so it's sort of like oriental rugs, you know, it's like the little thing that's like, oh, it's not quite perfect. That's what makes it so beautiful. I think we get a lot of that in in this. And I mean, in the other thing, the example that I like is, I imagine, you know, some giant factory that's making, you know, 500 guitars a day or whatever, they they have their specs. You know, they're hiring these workers who aren't musicians and might not care, you know, and I know you know this because I watch YouTube videos, but they they have their specs. So like, say a spruce say a top, they're going to say, all right, it has to be three millimeters and they're going to run everyone through the thickness meter at three millimeters. Where a small shop, you know, you could have two pieces of spruce that look the same and kind of feel the same. But once you once you get it out, you're like, oh, this one's a little stiffer, and it's you know, it has this tune to it. When you ding on it, like, we're going to take it down to 2.9 millimeter. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's that those little things. So we're able to do that, you know, on every part of the guitar, the top, the back, the you know, the way that the braces. And it's sort of a, you know how it all comes together that I think makes these things special. And of course, you know we're we're all or ninety percent custom orders, um, and so you know I'm talking to to the clients whether they're famous artists or you know collectors or whoever, and figuring out what they want. You know, and that's kind of a you know an art that usually
2: we get it right <laughs> seems like it um okay so want to dive in to a part I know the listeners are super eager to hear all of this but um, a lot of people probably know Rockbridge because it's the guitar that Dave Matthews plays now um, how how did that happen how did you become? friends with Dave, can you kind of take me through the order? Did you become friends? And then he was like, Oh, I want to try your guitars or was he interested in your guitars? And then he became friends and how, how'd that go?
0: Yeah. I mean, I met him really early on, um, kind of in passing maybe once or twice. And then I, a a really good friend of mine, Ian Kingston works at red light management and has been, you know, working closely with him for, you know, she was getting into music at the same time I was. My, my bluegrass band played at her high school. I was one year older and we, we became buddies You know, when we were 17 and 18, stayed friends. So she got into the music business. I got into the music business. We were both meeting people or whatever. And then, you know I remember her saying like, I just have a feeling you're gonna be friends with Dave one day or something along the I mean, way back. But then she, and it was in 2009, she took she showed, she took two guitars out to him. I think maybe 2008, somewhere around there, and um, they were small body guitars. Uh, he still got them, but you know they've never been on stage. And she took them out there and kind of like left them for him and came back. And was like I don't know, you know, he seemed distracted. You know, fingers crossed. I mean, at this point, we had a few other artists, and um, I hadn't really listened to him before, you know, at this point either. But I knew, you know, obviously he'd be great. At this point, it was like, man, I hope he plays guitar. Um And then we heard, then then it was like, I bet you can find it. There was a article, it's an online article, I forget what publication, but he came out and he was like, my new favorite guitars are these Little Rockbridge guitars. And like that's before I even knew he wanted to buy them. So he, so he played those for a while and, you know, we sort of started seeing each other here and there more because of the guitars. And then, I guess it was in 2010, They, he and his guitar tech, who I'm friends with, Craig Baker, they were like, why don't you build something he can try on stage? And that's when we started the SJs, which were like the, you know, kind of what people think of the most, um, which is, you know, uh, it was, I think his was the first one we made or second, and he loved it. And it was like, that kind of started it. So. So so I gotta give credit to Kingston because she took the guitars out there and she also at the same time introduced me to John Alasia. And it and this was, you know, I was in LA and Elasia was there and we hit it off. So I became really close with Alasia. And through Alasia, Matthews and I started hanging out more, and that's kind of how we became buddies. So so you know, I guess he, he played the guitar before he really knew, you know, who I was.
1: Yes pretty amazing and it mm-hmm. seems so much like dave like dave would just be like oh yeah i just i like this and he just says it publicly and you're like what what yeah it just seems so much like a dave story um so obviously you know you gave him those how did it come to be that he began playing it on stage you you talked about that but you know you talked about artists being like i need three millimeters here and this that and the other is dave like that and yeah. how many visualizations?
0: Like, I like this or you know,
1: yeah. Or- just whatever and you you make it, he plays it and if he likes it he tells you.
0: Yeah, I mean I feel like, you know, I'm probably I'm sure he's he's had he's had ideas certainly on aesthetic. I mean he's an incredible artist. But on the on the sound, I don't remember. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember him saying like I need more bass and the whatever, you know, it's more like I like this or, you know, let me try this one. It's it was more like that. And then and then, you know, of course every guitar we reader building like you know, that wasn't for somebody else. I'd be like, check this out, <laughs> and and you know, that's fortunately for us, he plays in like 19 different tunings, and they want a different guitar for each tuning, and you know, all of a sudden, it was like guitars all over the place
2: on that stage. That's incredible. I mean, that's got to be a good feeling because I know he was like uh, playing a Taylor or several Taylors for a long time. So he goes like Taylor to Rockbridge, then did you kind of um, see things like take off more after that for you and kind of like reach out to more artists?
0: Absolutely, you know, I don't want to, you know, I would never, He he's helped us, I mean, he's helped me obviously with all this other stuff so much and not just by like, you know, the getting the word out. I mean, he's a smart, you know, he gives me ideas on things. But yeah, yeah, I mean, big time. I mean, I think, like just for instance, he played it. Jason Moraz saw him play it, got in touch with me, and then we built Moraz some guitars. And then he Moraz played it on some late night show. Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi watched the show and was like, man, I've never heard of a Houston guitar that sound that good on TV. Sam got he got in touch. He bought all these guitars, and like it just started, you know. It and Dave wasn't our first artist, you know, but we've been I've been building guitars for seven years at that point. But it it made it easier, and then you know it was just sort of a once you get a lot of people, then you've you know they they it just sort of did like that. And then the other thing I did that really got us a lot of artists, so. If we were, you know, back in those days, we were probably building 40 guitars a year. Um, this, <clears throat> We would build maybe 75% of those were custom orders, but then we'd build the demo models. Cause I needed guitars to show people. If like Sambora said, let me see I mean, literally when Sambora said, let me see a guitar, I brought like nine guitars to his house. He came down, and, you know, played them all. In fact, the first one he picked up was over there. And, he, and I I thought just because he was an electric player, I like set it up with super low action and light gauge strings. I mean, he picked that thing up and was like, I mean, it was buzzing. It sounded absolutely terrible. And I, and it, and I was like, well, I did this all wrong. And then he goes, that's the best talking guitar I've ever heard. And it was like, I was like, really? And, you know, he bought all these guitars and I forget what I was even talking about. But but oh yeah, so what I did, is we had these demos I started lending them because I realized there are several times where I would get in touch with an artist you know through uh my friends you know whether they be musicians or people in management or you know I'd get an opportunity to sit down with some artists and you go sit down with these people and a lot of times it's like before their show and they clearly don't you know it's stressful I got like 15 minutes to try and sell some famous person a guitar in a like loud room with you can hear drums sound checking out here and it's like, you know, so we and and I realized that that, that is a terrible, you know, percentage that you're gonna like. Every these people are used to everything, want something from them or whatever. So what I started to do is I'd I'd bring a couple of guitars in there and and they sort of pick them up, and if I sensed that they like something, I'd be like, "Hey, do you want to uh, you want to borrow that so you can try it? Not here, and, you know. Y'all get it back in a month or trade." And and we and that started. That was really good. So I started having musicians all over the country borrowing guitars and taking them on tour. And a, a lot of them, I mean, like Warren Haynes, borrowed a, a couple of guitars, and then he'd be then he was he was very particular. He'd be like, "I want a little more of this or a little more of that," and I'd be like. I wouldn't just get the guitar back and let that go away. I'd be like, try this one, you know? And he borrowed guitars for like two years. And then he did um an acoustic album up in New York. And I went up there, he, he was like, man, can I, you know, check out some more guitars? I went up there and he ended up using seven rock bridges on that album. And then it's after the album, he finally he bought three of them. So that was, but that was like three years of him borrowing guitars. I had people all over, you know, I'd went into the studios. So there's a lot of that kind of, that's kind of how we got our, our word out, I guess.
1: Yeah, because your know. your artist list is absurd that I, you know, I was checking out the website and we we knew some of them. I mean, you know, friend of the pod, Rustin Kelly, shout out to Rustin. Um, but we, we didn't even know that. Tim and Fons uh have Rockbridge guitars. Um yeah. and then there are a bunch of others, but we'll we'll stay there for just a second. Was that just Dave been like, I play this, you should play that. You know, how did that work? And what guitars are they actually using? Because I had no idea.
0: Yeah, I mean Stefan just reached out and said, you know, he wanted to he just ordered it. I don't know if I don't know if he talked to Dave about it or not, but he got the a, a same model as Dave with different woods. He got African blackwood on it, which makes it like really bright and sort of crisp. And, you know, I think he loved it. Um And Tim, yeah, I guess Craig Baker, I'm sure had a big role in that, um, but yeah, he wanted another Dreadnought. He used it on stage for a year or so, you know, a lot of our artists, you know, a stage guitar and an at-home guitar it's cheeky, yeah. you, you never know. And I, you know, some artists play their favorite guitar on stage. Some artists keep their favorite guitar at home. You know, it's a, a funny thing. And I also say that a guitar on stage, like it's not. I remember when when you know we got these, for instance, on stage with D and B. I mean, it's like I was so new to internet and all that stuff at this point. I was like, <laughs> hey, all these Taylor people hate us. <laughs> and, are, you know, and, I, and, and it's just, it's interesting that, you know, these artists are gonna play whatever guitar they want to play. Nobody's gonna convince somebody by giving them a guitar to play on stage, you know. But but also, you can't, you know, if you think about an acoustic guitar, if I strum an acoustic guitar in this room, it's, um, you know, versus on stage, man, it's like, it's going through a pickup, then it's, you know, and you got a sound, you got a sound guy for that, then it's going through this and this and this and the speakers and you know, how it's recorded. Like, you know, you can't, you have no idea what that guitar sounds like. Like the band is picking what they want it to sound like coming through, the sound guy's saying, this is good to mix or whatever. And my my actual opinion on acoustic guitars is that it's, it's subjective, you know? They're not, it's not, this isn't necessarily, this is a $10,000 guitar. It's not necessarily better than a $200 guitar at a pawn shop. If you like that one better, it's like just whatever you like, you know? Um. So
1: if I spent 10,000 on it, I think I'd like that one better. Number one, uh, number two, I wanted to go back to something cause you brought it up. I wasn't sure if I wanted to ask it or how aware you were at times and you seem to be a little bit internet aware of when Dave did switch guitars on stage and some of the you you said Taylor people hated you guys but just you know some of like people are mean online um and and comments at times and just have you seen or did you ever notice like the shift
0: and what did that it's stressful if I look at, you know how it is. You can read a thousand people saying that something, you're, that your podcast is great. And one person will be like, you guys sound like morons. You're gonna be That's like, exactly
1: what what happens. And it yeah. it's what we care about the most.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I do my absolute best not to read it. When I see it, I, you know, I have that tendency to want to chime in, you know, but I, you know, whatever. Because... A maybe you know they're you know through the recording like I just said, and B maybe they do maybe you know this other guitar is better for me because I'm not saying that it's better than this or that. You know, I I truly think it's subjective. You know, yeah. in what they they like. You know?
1: Well, regardless of whether it's the Rockbridge guitar or whether it's the uh, the the different sound um, coming through any of the you know all the different pickups and all that different stuff that they've got going on Dave's guitar over the past half decade to decade is as crisp and is coming through the mix as it pretty much ever has. And it is on point. So, um, on this podcast, we're going to let you take all the credit for that and go ahead and take a Val Brian.
0: Thank you. You know, how it's going through, if it sounds amazing, it's not all the guitar, you know, he's got this incredible team out there.
2: Um, and if, if it makes you feel better, people were angry when, he switched from the Chet Atkins to the Taylor. So right. everyone Any
0: Anytime Post of you know there's at least three comments. They're like, bring back the chat or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh no. We, we as a podcast fully endorse Rockbridge and the sound has been, like Bruce said, incredible. Um uh so okay, do you have a tally? Do you know how many. Rockbridge guitars Dave uses on stage or
0: well yeah there's um, there's he there's five different tunings. So there's a guitar for mm-hmm. each tune. And, okay. and that's one neat thing about guitars, whether they're ours or whatever company, you know, it's the size of the guitar and the woods that determines that determines how it's gonna sound acoustically mm. You know, all the other stuff, the inlay, the, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't affect the sound. You know, it makes it look yeah. better than that. But, you know, it's the size and the wood, you know, assuming you're sort of building it the same, and it's going to, you know, our SJ sounds like our SJ if we build it with Rosewood, but if we build it with mahogany, it's a different sound than SJ, you know. And so, right. it's, so those guitars that he's using in each tuning, you know, I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it. But I you know, I presented them in standard tuning because give me a guitar in another tuning, I have no idea what to do with it. And but you know, for some reason they he they figured out, you know, they liked it for this or that. And yeah. That's awesome.
2: Great. Do so yeah. you have a favorite of his that you've made? Personal fave?
0: Uh I don't I don't know. You know, I kinda like smaller guitar. I mean, I know that everybody wants the S J, but I personally, like I play guitar like slouched on a couch, so I like <laughs> that very first guitar i got back, you know, before he was playing on, you know, in like 2009, like a double O. Those things are awesome for me, but
1: love it. You yeah. obviously, you know, we're talking more about kind of the business relationship side between yourself and Dave and, and other artists and things, but you know, as many DMB fans know you guys have a, you know, personal relationship as well. Um, you know, everyone knows the the infamous slap videos and, and all the other things that you guys have with the, that have been out there about you guys, you know, just hanging out. Um, I think y'all have a couple of videos of playing guitar, which by the way, a couple of those things that you and Dave are playing on guitar, that needs to become songs on albums and stuff. So, you know, put that in his ear. Um, I, but
0: I what's trying it trying to give him, you know, I was teaching him bluegrass and he liked it, but i tell you what, like, you know, I was, he'll pick up a guitar and be playing on a couch or something. Many times I'd be like, you know, go try and play. I can't play with him. I have no idea what he's doing. I don't, I can't recognize his chords. I have to, have I'm like, I can't follow him for two seconds. So the only thing I've ever played with him is when I teach him, you know, fiddle tunes from like Bluegrass days.
1: Well, they're awesome. So get you know continue to do that. Just anytime you come around him, just and just stare him down so it gets in his ear. Um, but what what's it like, kind of being able to you know kind of shoot the shit with Dave and just kind of be you, you've become good friends with them, obviously. And you know without obviously going into too too much there, but you know what what's it like having more than just a business relationship with one of the artists that obviously is you know essential to the Rockbridge brand? I mean, yeah,
0: I've become. Friends with a lot of my artists, and you know, a lot of people. Everybody I was around growing up was musicians, and I, I mean, honestly, I mean, he's just such a good guy. Like we became, I we became friends before I started, you know, checking out his shows. So it wasn't, I don't know. He, would, he did. I lived in L.A. and met all these like, you know, sort of L.A. musicians. He's like just a down-to-earth, wonderful person. It's kind of all I can say. I mean, just such a good-hearted guy all i can say about
2: it yeah that's what it seems like i mean yeah just yeah obviously we're huge fans and just have idolized dave for a long time so it's good to hear from someone else that he's uh as nice as we all think um Mm i think he is um
0: a a role model man i mean so yeah good person to everybody that gets close to him
2: yes absolutely um did you ever, I mean, in your wildest dreams, think or envision this um, for your company? Or, you know, when you were dropping out of Berkeley, like, did I mean, it's got to had to have been a, a wild ride to from there to here.
0: No, I haven't. And you know, I you know, as you know, I start all these other random things. I still don't know what I'm going to do for a living. It's kind of how I feel about it. Cause, I mean, Rock Rockbridge is perfect, and we don't want to change it. Nobody in the company wants to change it. Like we're, you know, we're busy, but we've got flexibility, and I mean, I don't know. It's really nice. But I definitely, I don't know. You know, you, if you plan on something, or I would get down. One thing I did notice. That I that that I, you know, anytime I meet an artist, whether they're a musician or a, or you know they paint or they write or whatever they do, like I have this huge level of respect for them, no matter how successful they are, because I I do something that I've that I've noticed and that I don't like and didn't like is early on when. I dropped out of school and I was still sort of at the age where everybody asked me, you know, where I went to college and I had to tell them I didn't go. And, um, you know, I, they, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I build guitars. I mean, they'd be like, oh, you know, my granddad builds birdhouses or whatever. Like, I could just tell they didn't take it. Like, I didn't have a job, you know? And then all of a sudden it's perception. We get these artists, whether... You know stave or somebody else if they if they liked them and i could say well we go that you know if you always get it who'd you build guitar who have you built guitars for and early on it's like all these bluegrass people that i liked a lot but they hadn't heard of um and you name them and they'd be like hmm, you know and the, you could just sort of feel the like gosh <laughs> they didn't respect it where all of a sudden you can name somebody you know uh, famous and they're like you know they, they, they light up and, and all of a sudden it, they like it and it's like it's not fair and I think about that with like people playing in a band at the coffee shop I mean, they've put so much work into it and they're so good and like you know But most people are sitting in there drinking their coffee, not listening to them. But if that person all of a sudden had a number one album, people would go, oh, you're amazing. It's like, it's not fair, you know? And I really think about that when I think about other artists. And I mean, I've dealt with it. I mean, my other businesses, like when I would tell people I make board games, i mean, dude, (laughs) people would look at me like I was a complete idiot. But if I was like, they're selling in Walmart, it's like all of a sudden, I mean, that's not fair. You know, that game was just as fun before we sold a lot of them, our guitars sounded the exact same before we had famous people playing them. You know, it's just not, it's it's not fair. So um, I don't know. So I've never been a huge, like, starstruck person or with these different artists we work with. You know, if I meet somebody, like, I want them to like the instruments. Or if I meet somebody in my other lines of work, I want them to like what we're doing. But it's, it's never been, I don't know. Only time I was a little bit starstruck that I can remember is when The Rock came to my house. But he's not—he's not, he's not <laughs> a musician. And I think I was more—I think I was more like I had a small arm complex than I was starstruck. Because man, he's a, he's a beast. I felt like i, I, I felt weak for the next two, couple months. Um, Did he buy a guitar? Yeah, he bought our—we oh, yeah. built him our 200th guitar. And he was there for hours. He like picked out his wood, and he was so nice. And and he, um, you know, he was like very into it. And and you know, would text me. He we inlay part of his tattoo on the guitar. So, oh, that's cool. I had just gotten a cell phone. You know, it's just figuring out it, how to use the cell phone. I'd get like a text, and it was you know the rocks nipple with like
1: chalk circling the part of the tattoo he wanted um, that was that's a good wow. uh segue right there because because you're a professional i wanted to ask about the custom inlays a little bit because they're pretty incredible especially if um you know we've seen obviously the ones on dave's guitars and a couple of others but when i was clicking through you know on your guy's website there's a bunch more uh photos on there and i think you've posted some on social media as well Uh, but so you're a little bit of an artist, number one, um, and like number two, just talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, what, how do you plan that out and how does that process go, uh, to be able to do that? Is it kind of like a tattoo artist where you draw it out first and then you do it on the guitar? How does that work?
0: Pretty much. I mean, every inlay you see, first of all, keep in mind somebody else's like, it was built for somebody. We're not just like putting inlay on the guitar. So it's sort of somebody else's idea or concept, Mm -hmm. this or that, and I'm working with them. Um, but I, I don't know, I always liked it. Like in, inlay was sort of big, like when I got started, like before Rockbridge, I was doing inlay work for like man, like those sort of traditional instruments it was more common on those. So we do like big ornate inlays on mandolins. And then I got that, that job doing custom inlays on banjo work. And I just, I like it. It's just like, I don't know. And, that, and now, I mean, I'm pretty removed from like the day-to-day Building process on Rock Ridge. Um The really the only thing that I consistently—I mean, I'm I'm talking to the customers and you know doing other stuff, but the only thing that I'm doing consistently on the guitars. I mean, I get in there and set up a guitar, help where where it's needed. But the, the other three guys, you know, are, are amazing. If they all quit, you know, that would be our last Rock Bridge probably. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the I still do the inlay, and I just, I just like it, man, because, you know, these other companies that I have and Rockbridge, you know, you're like, it's hard to, like, I remember when I, the first decade of Rockbridge, you'd, like, start with some materials, and five hours later, like, you changed it. you like, built something, and it just felt so satisfying. And inlay works still like that. You get these little pieces of shell and you, know, you cut it out and put it in the guitar, and you like feel like you've done something where, you know, with a lot of jobs, like, you can't You don't have that tangible, like, look at this thing I did. Uh, And so I just, I don't know, still really, still really like it in my part of the guitar. And yeah, it's like a tattoo, you know, customers. I mean, like lately, for instance, a lot of people have been getting their kids' artwork on guitars. Like, to me, that's so awesome. It just sort of ties them to it. I mean, literally, the kids will, like, draw something with a crayon, and then I cut it out of shell, and it, like, looks picasso-esque and i don't know it's it's awesome we get we get all kinds of weird requests for inlay and this and that um you know so anyway
2: nice well i mean it's beautiful work i love seeing whenever anybody posts about it like it's such a cool personalization um that you guys do um so we just talked about it a minute ago but your other projects, your other businesses—you sell board games. You don't just sell board games. You created Chicka Pig, yeah. which we both love. Uh, such such a great game, so much fun. Um, I got the uh, Chicka Pig books uh, nice. for my son. So and now my daughter <laughs> nice. has started in. She handed me the Chicka Pig book the other day, and awesome. uh, yeah, uh, so we love it. But yeah how okay i know you're a creator you said you love tinkering with things and everything how did chickapig come to be and can you kind of talk through how it got popular and i know dave kind of it became a thing with dave as well and then he joined in
0: yeah um i mean it was so random i mean i'm not like a I would play, I played the same amount of board games as your average not board gamer, you know, holidays here or there, besides chess, I like chess. Um, but I, I played a board game at, at, you know, with some friends and I thought it was boring. I was kind of complaining, I was like, there's some things about it that I was like, this doesn't work, like why'd they do it like this? And And I read the side of the box and it was like, Million souls. Like, what? This is, I'm going to make a board game. And I just sort of started thinking about it. And I don't know. It, I mean, it went, It was like several months later. And everybody thinks, everybody's always like, how oh, high were you when you made Chicken Big? Nope. I was, <laughs> I was driving down the road. And I was like, I wonder if that, you know, if this piece did this and this piece did this. And I sort of had this idea and I went home and I got a chessboard and I, little paper pieces. And I was like, that's not enough squares and a cardboard. And and it was like, I don't know, a couple days later, I I had this thing and, you know, it was like characters and I made one, it's like little Play-Doh. And yeah, I, I, I took it to a couple of fridge houses and two, two of the first groups I took, I took it to, well, one was Ian Kingston who got me, you know, who I talked about earlier, she was she's been a massive help in every area of my life over the years. I played it with her and her her husband and kids, and she was like, she was like, Oh my gosh, you you know, you need to do this and you need to write a book and you need to, you know, she was sort of my my cheerleader. But yeah, one of the earliest scripts was was Matthews and some of our other friends, and they were like, I think they thought I had made it a long time ago, you know. You can watch that that video Walmart put out. It's like a great little interview on on Chicken. Mm -hmm. We he interviews with me, Um, but I realized like everybody wanted a copy, so I was like, okay, I made three more. Gave one to Ann, gave one to him, gave one to another friend, and I'd be like, they're playing this when I'm not there. You know, they text me pictures and like like you know they were very early adapters and like helped me with. know you should do this i was still tweaking rules and and it became this like this thing and and so yeah dave and two of our other friends Fenton, everybody is Fenton in y'all's camp um and then our our late friend wonderful friend mark rabine who's you know business-minded uh started we just started sort of talking about you could do this you could do this and and i don't know i like it at that time because it was completely different from rock bridge, you know, uh, I mean, it's he, he, very different for rock bridge. He, if, if nobody's played chicken, pig, it's chicken-pig hybrid sort of simplified chess with a cow that poops on the board. And anyway, <laughs> I like, I just, I was not thinking about selling a lot of these. I was thinking, I like, I wanted to figure out, did it work? I thought I'd make, you know, 20 of them for my friends. It'd be our little thing. But I like then, then I was, and I so I did, and then I, and like I would find out so and so wanted one. I mean, there's some guy played, like, some guy was like, bought one. I was like, I'm done making chicka pig. I need to track this guy down because so he's like, I'll give you $300 to make me one. It's like, really? <laughs> you yeah. so know, I was like, okay. I mean, I barely knew this guy, so I made him one, and I started to. Then I just started liking to make it because I wanted to figure out how to make a lot of them, you know, this is nights and weekends. So I was like, instead of the first ones where I like like took a Sharpie and literally cut out wood circles and drew the swirl on the cow poop, I like figured out how to stamp 50 at a time. Now I hired my my mom was helping me make parts and I was paying a couple other people make parts. And then, you know, I'd like, Call a box company to make me these these things, and call this company to make me these things. And I was sort of pieced, hiring a couple people around to piece them together, and I thought I'm going to sell these at the farmers market. We just sort of started making more and more, and it's really—I mean—it was the encouragement of my friends who were like, "You should turn this into a business." And and at that point, at that time, um, you know, you started doing research every single board game was launched on kickstarter and and i didn't necessarily want to do a kickstarter but but it was like this is it's not it's like i we had the idea it wasn't like give us some money we're gonna go think about this it was just like let's see how many of these we need to make and so you know we uh you know we did that with you know dave was a partner along with some other friends and you know he helped put it out, and I think we sold like thousand games, uh, and we sort of thought. I mean, that was that seemed like a lot. Like it was a lot to figure out how to make those. And then I, I like was working with some local companies and this and that, um, but that wasn't like going gangbusters, you know. But then I got a what it did is it, I caught the attention of um, Buffalo Games actually not through dave but through john wayne's son ethan wayne who had sort sold a guitar to he he knew a guy that was like licensing worked in licensing with john wayne and there was some casual conversation where he met this guy from buffalo games and he was like my buddy's got a game you should check it out and that guy called, called and was like hey man we sell games in target and walmart like you know and and man yeah we so we sort of started planning with them and all of a sudden ended up like doing a, a deal with them and i mean they were like you know it went gangbusters there for a, a while <laughs> um i mean so i mean i think in one year we sold a quarter million of them of, of the main game and then uh we i made chicka piglets and then, you know, I wrote the books and we had stuffed animals. And anyway, that was, that was Chickapig. Um crazy. And now I've spent the last this sort of, I, I've never really talked about this on, on any interviews, but when COVID hit, we kind of like, we lost our listing in Target and Walmart and it sort of, di- the game sort of died. I mean, I built this whole grassroots thing with that game, you know, Playing them in bars and these big boards and it's and then when COVID hit, I don't know, just sort of Target and Walmart are tough, man. Mass retail. Uh, I mean, I'm going through it again right now. You know, you're competing you're competing for shelf space with the biggest brands in the world in the toy department or in whatever department you happen to be in. So we lasted two years, I think, in in those mass retail, and then we lost. And then I don't know, just sort of. I mean, I. I stopped, it' stop becoming the focus of attention for one but also just sort of these things tend to go in waves but for the last several years we've been trying to turn it into a TV show and then I could I could talk about that but it's been it's been a roller coaster you know <laughs> right now we're on the we're, on, we're at the bottom of the hill so, so we were we were right at the top of the hill a couple of times so we'll, we'll see you know hopefully we'll get back there with some you know major companies it looked like it's gonna be a huge thing and you know it's that's an ordeal um but but anyway that got me obsessed with like writing for for television so now i got all these other things i'm you know hopefully we'll see but yeah that was chicken pig um awesome hold on hold on on.
1: i need to know like more about this tv show though because nowadays and and i'm sure this is going to be you know Something as you said, you're starting to be obsessed with, you're gonna succeed, like it's gonna happen. Um, Mm -hmm. as we see with like everything you kind of just do here, but is this something, um, if you wind up doing it now with kind of the age of streaming, um, and putting things out you know on all these different platforms, and it's not just like trying to get a TV deal, it's like you know hopping around to Netflix exclusive, Amazon exclusive, or whatever. Um, how do you, if if you've gotten that far, how do you envision? a chick pig TV show going?
0: I mean, you know, yeah, we had a, we have we an have incredible, I mean, I can't go into it too much, but we have an incredible team with people that, you know, are in that world, did all those pitches to all those big companies, landed one, lost it, landed another one, you know, long story. It's a, it's a like, it's a long process and a lot can happen from when you sell a TV show to when it goes on air. So it's just kind of a, you know, crazy whirlwind
1: well fingers crossed for you because that'll be awesome we will definitely tune in especially with the kiddos so yeah we're looking forward to that potentially um before we get into uh the kind of the the main thing that you're on to now real quick the the card game 25 outlaws obviously dave did artwork for Pig, and then that as well um where did the inspiration for that come from obviously it's kind of a derivative of other card games i i i guess a little bit but also creative in and of itself um and you know what was that like just doing a, a second game kind of
0: one is totally random i mean, it's had this idea for you know you were playing poker or something and i was like what if you could play poker where you could rob people basically it was the beginning and sort of like <laughs> lit, liter, literally made this you know poker game with like ripped up pieces of paper and we played it and and it was, I don't know, it was fun. I mean, we played it for like, I don't know, a few times, or never really got into it. And I think it was like a year later, Dave said, you should make that game, that poker game, and let me do the artwork. I mean, I had forgot, I mean, I was not onto it. And I was like, sounds like a good, good deal for me. And, and so we went back, I developed it at this point you know, after Chicka it became much easier because of my relationship with Buffalo Games and they're just an amazing company. Um, I de- I sort of developed the rules with with them and, you know, I mean, I, th- I think it's a great game, but it, I mean, I, we really enjoyed playing it, but it's significantly more complicated it, than Chicka In retrospect, we should have kept it simple. Now we have all these like twists. Like one of those things you have to learn this before you figure out what this is, but you don't know what this is till you know what that is. You know what I mean? You Have to like play it a few times um, before you like get the sense of the strategy. And those just don't work in mass retail. People want people want to like one card and slap something or you know whatever. And and it 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 lasted one season and you know sort of ran its course. But it was fun. I haven't yeah. played it. In time. I'd have to read the rules, I and then mean, I've still same. Be-
1: yeah, I've still got yeah. it, but yeah. I played. We play Chickapig more.
2: Yeah, same. Yeah, we've got the uh, was the OG chicka pig that came in the like burlap bag. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's,
0: there's several versions of OG chicka pigs. You know, I would lose track. But yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've got awesome. the, the 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 true OG one. Um, you would. You Dave. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I want to, I actually, what I want to do is, I mean, I'd love to rekindle the game side of Chickapig, and I've been thinking about making now with, with hopefully with Buffalo, making big boards, because that was always, to me, like, that's how we got it going in the grassroots. Nobody had heard of it. We took these big boards into this bar down here. They're magnetic, so you could like have your beer, and I mean, it, it was
1: awesome. That's, I was going to say, that's perfect for a brewery.
0: Yeah, it's completely yeah. like for adults, you know? And yep. like you can drink and play big, and it was fun. And then, like, we switched, and we were marketing it to kids. And, and that was really, that got me, that made me fall in love with making stuff for kids. But at the same time, like, it started for adults, and we completely switched. And I kind of want to start, like, let's get some big boards and get drunk again and play big, Like, maybe... <laughs> You know, and, and maybe if this TV show doesn't pan off, we'll, we'll ditch the whole like preschool thing. We'll go, you know, go adult spin instead. <laughs> anyway. all
2: right, That's what we do. Yeah, um, uh,
0: But yeah, yeah, yeah. That got, that got me into it. Um,
2: okay. So you, uh, you've kind of delved back into, uh, games and in retail for kids now um i know this has been um a a project for you it's been on your mind right now especially ramping up for the holiday season and tinker tar
0: tinker tar i yeah um for those of you listening that can't see what this is i mean it's essentially kids guitar and i wanted i had a pig and all these games and i had Rock Ridge, and I wanted to combine my world to make a kid's guitar. And I don't know, I sort of had some ideas about it and talked about it. And then actually it was, John Alasia called me one day and was like, man, you're always drawing animals, because I am. I, and I, and he, was like, he was like, you know, you should, you should make some animal guitars. It's like, gosh, that's a... You know that's a really good idea, and I got I got online and looked around, and like you could find some one-off animal guitars, but there's nothing like in the mass market. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. Like I'm surprised you can't buy a dinosaur ukulele or whatever, you know. And so I made one. I made a dinosaur-shaped ukulele with four strings and, and it, you know, the body was looked like a dinosaur, the neck was the tail, and. And I made it and I took it to a friend's house in mean, Kingston's house. So we are all a little, little group. And I took it and her kid was like turning five or something and was, had a birthday party. Everybody wanted to play this thing because it looked like a dinosaur. And you guys have kids in this age range? Yeah. You've seen a kid with a ukulele or a little guitar you've probably seen it before. It's this. And I'd be like, push your finger here and here, and they couldn't do it. And I'd be like, try and hold this chord, and they couldn't do it. Or it was a chord is boring, and they and they give it up. I mean, I had a line of people who played the ukulele, and no, I mean, and nobody wanted to play it more than ten seconds once they once they got there. It's it can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like I don't know. Literally that night, it's like, why can't they? You know, I mean, kids are starting violin and piano with Suzuki method when they're three, and kids aren't starting ukulele in early music educational programs until they're like eight. And I, Like it makes no sense. But then it just sort of occurred to me. If you go to that piano, you know, dun 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 dun, it's like one thing at a time. And a and a violin, even though it's got four strings, it's got an arched fingerboard, they're starting with melody lines. They're not starting with a chord. They're starting with one thing at a time, melody lines. So I just sort of had this idea of like, I'm gonna make a, a one string instrument. So that elephant back, back there, with the, I made that. I took it back to the same group of kids, and right away, you know, with one with one string, right away, there's nothing to do but this. You know, they were making they were making sounds on it, and I and I thought, well, that's amazing. And then I I taught I started teaching my friends' kids how to play. I a three-year-old how to play this. Three, and, I, and you know, you could learn all the little. It's just so simple with one string. So I started making these. This was over COVID, and I and I took it to Buffalo Games, and they were kind of like a little interested. Um, they they you know we had some companies over in China make some prototypes. But the problem was the fret jobs. Like I was making these in my guitar shop and you know, putting professional fret jobs on it so that it plays clean like that. But with um it's hard to do a fret job and the, and if you're trying to make something that's affordable, like they're coming back terrible. Like, you know, they do this every other fret. They just weren't it just wasn't working and we we're sending back and it just and it just sort of fizzled out. And then COVID happened and I was, you know messing around with a bunch of stuff around here. And I thought, well, violins don't have frets. And every buddy I know that played, they started playing violin when they were young know, has incredible like pitch because you got to make these micro adjustments to, you know, to play in tune. And so I made a, a fretless tinker tar like right away, you know, it's a little plunkier, but like right away, it sounded good. I mean, I literally drew in the position markers with a Sharpie and then I started I working with some local companies started printing the fingerboards and now you can print this color coded numbered system. So you can teach a kid, you know, you can say open open seven seven nine nine seven. You know, five five four four two. You can te- you can teach a kid so simple. And with and so it did two things. It let us teach how to do this and it made manufacturing a cinch because now it's essentially two pieces it's like one piece of wood for the body it's got a panel on the back and then the fingerboard and that and that's it so we we're we we're able to make these you know for nothing and man I gotta say it's crazy because these kids, I mean, I've seen it over and over. Parents will be like, oh, my, you know, I bought this little guitar for my kids. They can't play it. And I'll say, well, you know, give me five minutes or one minute, depending on how old. You know, if a three-year-old, they got to really want to do it. A six-year-old, they're going to be able to play a song in under a minute. And and it's like, yeah, they could maybe learn that on a real guitar, but it's going to be, you got to have dexterity to get it in there in between the strings. This is just so simple that once you learn melody, they they did it over, they do it over and over again. And so, I mean, I, you can tell, I believe in this so much. Like I see it work, you know, and we're out in the big stores right now. And it's like that scary thing I told you about where, you know, you never feel like you're selling enough to make the, the people happy. But, but I, you know, this one, I feel like even if it doesn't succeed there, man, it's, like I hope it grows because I'm getting all these music education specialists reaching out. We're making a curriculum with Kaplan, you know, who makes curriculums, and we're going to try and get it into school systems. Because I'm like, you know, kids are playing a recorder when they're super young, and, and they they're not going to stick with it. But if, if they can like play a little guitar, you know, they don't, re- you don't they don't realize it on one string, but they're learning even if they just do this they're learning how to coordinate their hands. They're learning how to push the string down. They're learning rhythm. They're learning that if you push, you know, the, the higher you go up the neck, you're changing the pitch. And, you know, if they're old, maybe they play it for, for 10 minutes. They already, then they can, you can do this. You can go and you know those numbers And then you can pick up a real guitar and you can be like, oh, it starts on 12. You know, and and it's just gonna be a lot easier when they pick it up. And then they can start to figure out, well, I can do it here. But it's it's like a balance bike, you know? Easy easy access, just to spark an interest. We don't expect people to play 10 guitars their whole life. Although this thing sits by my desk and I'm addicted to it and I play it all the time. But anyway.
1: Well, Dave and Rustin and Kelly play it.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, my friend my friends have all been so kind to me and helping me get the word out. Um, well,
1: we're just waiting for him to appear on stage. You know, maybe Dave will bring it out in Mexico for Dave
2: and Tim. Yeah. Oh man. Dave E1 solo with the Tinker Tar.
1: Yeah, he's gone, you know, guitar, he had the, the the what is that? the Griffin, the little tiny one, and he's got a ukulele. Now it's time for a Tinker Tar, I think. Uh,
2: think so. amazing. That, would take, that
0: would take some convincing, but
2: we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's such a cool product, and I, I know, like, firsthand exactly what you're talking about. I um, got my son a guitar that had, a small guitar that had three strings, and, you know, he just kind of hits at it. And I try to, I'm like, Oh, try the chord right there. And it's just too, you know, it's just too hard. So I think, I mean, I think you've nailed it and you're going to just have just a whole fleet of guitar virtuosos who they're going to be incredible. And then they're going to get good enough. They're be like, Oh, well now I need a rock bridge. So you've just like, yeah. you've got it all figured out.
0: I mean, I, I've seen kids start guitar, my you know, my friend's kids or we hear stories start guitar from this because mm-hmm. I mean, you learn just one little melody. It's like a kid will play that same melody a gajillion times. But they're yeah. they're picking up and they're figuring out and then you know they, they're making up their own stuff. It's just so it's so simple. And I mean, the problem, you know, I I see, you know, I try not to read them, but you see the comments, people are like, Ooh, you know, why don't you start with a real guitar? I mean. This is from when they're too young to start with a real guitar. Or even adult, you know how many adults, since I made my first 10 guitars, like, if you could teach me, then, you know, I'm hopeless on a guitar. And I, yeah. any adult in the world, I can teach them a song in under a minute. And, and, you know, but but when it's on a shelf and somebody doesn't take the time to really think about the benefits of it, and they think, they think, oh, why would I buy that thing for you know twenty five dollars when I can buy this ukulele over here for forty dollars if, if you know it's a real instrument. well, it's because your kid probably won't play that thing but this one, you know hopefully they'll play it enough and that they'll uh, like it enough that then they'll want that ukulele.
1: That's a good point. um and you know it's it's what? something that I've been kind of eyeing a little bit lately because my my dad, Um, actually did buy my son a ukulele, um, but he's not yet three. He's two and a half. So he's kind of like, well, I'm not going to give it to him yet. Just kind of want to make sure that he's ready for it sort of thing. And I said, well, look at this thing that I found. Um, And it was this. It was a couple of weeks ago. um, And I was like, this might be, you know, something, you know, now or at his third birthday, something like that um, in that time frame that he can kind of learn that first. Um, So if... We are interested in that. Where can I or others buy these things? Like, where where would we be able to get them?
0: Well, if you want this one with the flames, you gotta go to Walmart. You gotta, you know, go to Walmart. It's in eighteen hundred Walmart stores, and it's on Walmart.com. Nice. Uh, the tiger is in every Target, and then the rest tiger, of our I like the tiger. The rest of our models on our. On Amazon or in like you know we're we're trying to get in the local toy shops. Local toy shops are amazing because there you've got somebody that can explain. It. You know, on the shelf in mass retail, it, it's yet to be. We're we're about to find out if it if it you know if it works because uh, if people just have to see it in a package and be like oh you know maybe I'll get that. I I, my, I suspect that the ones that we're selling in MASH retail are selling as a toy. And then hopefully when they get home, they're, they're like, whoa, this thing actually, you know, worse. Um, you know, <clears throat> Amazon, were able to like link from our little, you know, videos. Cause if you go, you know, we, you know, we sort of just started, but our tiny social media presence, you can go and find these little kids that are like playing stuff. It's, it's so cool. And it's starting to like roll in, you know, people I don't know, you know, kids I don't know, lots of music teachers. Um, but if you if you just look up Tinker Tart, you should be very easy
2: to find. Perfect. I think that's uh, I think Santa, it's a great, uh, great gift for Santa to put under the under the Christmas tree. Um, All we got to do is get,
1: get Brian a, a big white beard, just put on the Santa hat and, and he's the one Santa's making those yeah. tinker tars
2: his workshop um, Yeah, exactly yeah okay so uh one more question about all of this and in the brian calhoun enterprise of creations what uh i know you mentioned the tv show maybe but what what's next for you
0: oh man well um i mean i've got like you know a couple half written books like you know for kids uh longer books so we'll see we'll see where one of those goes but i I love this i tv idea you know now i got this so i'm like "Hmm, what about a music show you know i I, that that could be who knows if it will never see the light of the day but that's yeah i might have several notebooks filled with ideas and that sort of stuff
2: it seems like you have a ton of great ideas so can't wait to see uh your future and uh Big things coming. I can feel it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right, Brian. Before we let you get out of here, we've talked your head off enough uh, got- this evening.
0: Y'all have listened to me ramble. I, I always feel like my voice is like right behind my brain. Like- <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's our favorite thing to do is to listen to to our guests talk though. So I mean, that's that's why we want more and more and more and um what we wanted but what we typically do at the end is kind of a rapid fire um and some of these if you want to do a you know kind of an audible and answer for yourself that's perfectly fine i know that you weren't really some of these are DMB related so you may not uh you may not have the answers that um some may have but i think that uh you might surprise us here so we'll start off and uh i'll kick it i'll kick it off nolan brian favorite dave matthews band song Gray Street.
2: <laughs> salesman.
1: He's the best. Yeah.
2: He's meant to be. Uh, do you have a favorite album? I I don't. I'm
0: not, I don't I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not good on my, you know, song titles, what's on what album, all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, how about you mentioned some of them before. Um how about your favorite band, you know, obviously Besides D- DMB, obviously. Um, but what's your favorite band, whether it be now or of all time, just in all of your entire
0: life? Led Zeppelin. Uh, I, I mean, it's like when you know, I work in music, I actually listen to less and less music when I'm not at work. Or, or I like very sort of simplistic. I like like, like Willie Nelson on a guitar. It's nice, easy listening, you know, that sort of stuff.
1: I heard Brian's a big podcast guy. He listens
2: to the corner of Gray Street podcast all the time. All instead the, of music. <laughs> all the time. Uh, favorite concert venue you've been to?
0: Gosh. I mean, I still, I like like a nice little band in the corner of a bar, you know? I mean, I feel, I just still really enjoy that sort of listening area. You know, not too loud, So it's but I like, I love local music. And I like going to concerts, of course, but
1: downtown mall in Charlottesville is your scene, then. Yeah, I,
0: Miller's. <laughs> That's right.
1: So, um, okay, so who's your favorite then? Your favorite guitar player of all time?
0: Oh man, I don't know because so I got my whole bluegrass side, you know, like.
1: Bayless Fleck talked about a lot of bluegrass guitarists when he was on. Um, I can't remember some of the names, but yeah, he was these guys, he loves them.
0: Those guys, I mean, I, these people I grew up with are incredible that nobody's gonna have heard of, but I'm proud, you know. Um, I mean, like growing up, I was a big Allman Brothers fan. I mean, you know, Jimmy Page, just that sort of stuff, classic rock. I
2: like it. Um, do you have a guitar, maybe? one that you're most proud of making?
0: Uh, no no I, I wish I could have thought of something to make up fast enough to have said yes, but I don't think I, I, don't, I don't think I do. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of like it changes you know. We'll do yeah. one we will do one for this person. and I'll be super proud of it. You know, we'll do one for that version, I'll be super proud of it. There's not one specific one, you know. I mean it's it's a neat thing, man. Like we've done guitars. We did a guitar for a guy whose um his father had an old Gibson and and remarried and then passed away. Or, or, or like got something happened but his dad passed away and his, and his dad's new wife like you know didn't get along with the kids and sold it and it was like you know this guy I mean this guy was older you know he's probably 60 but he was like I always you know wished I could find my dad's guitar and so we made a replica visually of that guitar because it was a sort of a shape that we already used you know but with, with our stuff and we drilled a hole in the back of the peghead, and he put a vial of his dad's ashes in it. And I was like, I mean, that's a badass guitar. I mean, it's, wow. it's the ones that sort of, you know. Now we've got guitars that are 20 years old. We're seeing them pass down, and like it's, it's neat, man. These things are going to outlive us. So it's not, it's not like one that goes to a celebrity. It's ones. You know unless this they feel that way and it's like their thing but it's the ones that like have a meaning somehow you
1: know great answer yeah. that was awesome yeah it, that is a fantastic answer i kind of have a feeling you don't have an answer for this just kind of uh, but you but you may and you may surprise us but if you could have just one artist and it may not be a dream artist it could be someone local bluegrass whatever um to use a Rockbridge guitar and to come to you, Brian Calhoun, and say, "Make me a guitar." Who would it be that that currently isn't using it?
0: You know, I, I don't know. It's tough. Well, I'd have I'd have to jump back to my childhood people. So it'd be like Slash, you know, or Jimmy Page, so yeah, you
2: know, that kind of thing. Hell
1: yeah! So not Taylor Swift. Got it.
2: <laughs> She's great. Her too. <laughs> Everybody, everybody needs a rock bridge. Yeah, Paul exactly. McCartney. Come on. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think that's, that's about it. That's going to wrap up the, the rapid fire for us. Um, so, you know, one more time, why don't you hit us with, uh, with your, your Tinker tar where we can get it. And um, so some, some details on Tinker tar and where we can follow and, and find out more about it on social media.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I, probably the, because there's several places to get it, and each place sort of has specific models. Probably just Googling Tinkertar will be the best spot to go. I, we're we're on Tinkertar Music. I think is our social media handle. Um, I don't run that page, but uh, I, I'm involved in it. And <laughs>
1: yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll make sure to uh, to post some of that on social media as well. And we will link to, um, depending on how many different places sell it, we will link to at least some of those in the most common places to buy it for sure yeah. in well, the podcast we, description. You
0: know, don't don't say this, but where we need to sell it is Walmart. Amazon is okay. crushing it. Walmart is like, are they going to take us next year? You know? <laughs> Fingers Dude, crossed. They could put a wallet there, you know?
1: Then you can find that link to the Walmart Tinkertar right there in the podcast description. You just look there right now. You can click right through it. Um, we'll put some of those in there and uh, also link those social media handles as well. Brian, where else can people find you and uh, you know your work, Rockbridge and stuff, social media or or elsewhere?
0: We have a website that hasn't been updated in many many years, um, but then Rockbridge Guitar, you know, Instagram is is sort of our, you know, it's it's eighty percent rock bridge and twenty percent, especially around the holidays, it's gonna be twenty percent toys, you know, during the regular year it's ninety-five percent rock bridge. It's kinda like my personal one, you know, I mean Randall Randall doesn't have social media, Adam doesn't have social media, everybody I work with is a hermit.
2: That's awesome. That's why you guys are such good uh guitar makers. Just yep. locked in all the time on the guitars. Um okay, one last thing. Can you play us out for the outro? Um and I, your choice, either tinkertar or maybe some some uh bluegrass on the SJ. I'll
0: put the same song on We'll go okay. That's on a tinker guitar,
1: all right. Now, Brian's going to play us out on the SJ, this the Rock Bridge guitar here, the beautiful one right in front of us. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Thank you to Brian again for joining us. And we'll see everyone next time on the next combos on the corner on the corner of Gray Street.
0: All right, I'll try and play that same song I played on the tinker guitar with my extremely rusty uh, bluegrass chops. <laughs> you yeah. We wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be
2: directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's Fun Run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akemo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The
0: Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's Fun Run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy.